Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning, everyone. Some of us are still in turkey food comas. Some of us did, uh, were not smart and decided to play football on Thursday in the turkey bowl, and said person was not physically prepared for such a robust game. So I lasted only one game, um, and I'm still experiencing the soreness of, of that one game, but I had a great time with everyone. So I hope uh, if you're visiting with us today, maybe you're uh, uh, visiting some friends and family, and I uh, haven't met you before, I'm going to say a welcome. Uh, my name is Tim, and I've uh, been the pastor here for the last few months here at uh, Carmel Presbyterian, and we are in the season of Advent. What a great season it is, and we are so glad you're joining with us today. And what we're going to do with Advent, we want to help remind you what it's all about. And so uh, we come today looking at Advent as a reminder of Jesus coming. He's going to come again. That's his second Advent. But his first Advent, Jesus came as a baby. And so we're going to ask ourselves some questions about Christmas over the next four weeks And today we're going to ask ourselves, well, who is this Jesus? And in some ways, every week we're kind of asking, who is this Jesus? Uh, What does the Bible say about him? What's essential for us to believe? And what we want to remember in this Advent season, it's all about longing. And it's all about longing for the right things. Advent is this expectation that Jesus is coming. And so maybe you're, you're excited about Christmas gifts. Well, that's a good longing too, but there's a greater longing Beneath that other longing, the greater longing is for this love we cannot lose. This greater longing is really for Jesus, no matter what your longing is. Now, we just had Black Friday, if you aren't familiar with it too much. Uh, That meant if you were smart, you stayed at home and didn't fight over a stuffed doll at Walmart and get in a fist fight. So I hope you stayed home like me. If you ventured out, you're braver than me. But I don't know if you know this stat. Uh, You can Google this. This is a very amazing stat. That over the holidays in 2019, Americans by themselves, this isn't just globally. This is actually just Americans themselves will spend over a trillion dollars during the holiday. That's an amazing amount of spending, right, on stuff, maybe flat screen TVs, maybe luxury experiences, maybe essential thing. But what it reminds us is in the season of Advent, with all the spending, what can get lost is our longing for real things that will satisfy our deepest soul's longing. So we want something, and we try to, so we try to fill it with these different things or objects or experiences, and we're reminded in having to pause and with a trillion dollars, with the T being spent, not with the B, a T, to remind us there's no amount of spending that's going to satisfy our souls. And Jesus is standing, and I even see from Revelation chapter 3, standing at the door and knocks, and with, with uh, John, who has this vision of Jesus, is knocking on you, your heart, your head, saying, welcome me in, don't forget about me, this Advent, this longing for Jesus coming, a second Advent we remember by celebrating his first Advent when he came as a baby. And so we're going to go through Christmas questions during this Advent sermon series. We hope it's going to help you develop a healthy longing for the Son of God, a healthy longing for the things that matter in this life, because only one thing can satisfy, and it's not a thing or an experience. It's a person named Jesus. And Advent will remind us of this as we look at who is this Jesus. Now, we just read Genesis 3 and Galatians 4. I'm going to invite you to join me in Genesis chapter 1. That's on the very front of your Bible. 
go to the first chapter, the first pages there. And in Genesis chapter 1, who is this Jesus? Well, I'm going to say that there's some hints of Jesus in Genesis chapter 1. It says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, And God said, let there be light. Now, if you have been with us before, I've spoken on this, and I've given a very interesting interpretation along with some other commentators that believe actually that not only is God the Father present where God created the heavens and earth, and God the Spirit present in verse 2, hovering over the face of the waters, but God, the eternal Son, the eternal Logos is present in verse 3 because it says, and God said... God spoke, and we know from the New Testament, John chapter 1, John the disciple talking about Jesus Christ describes Jesus as the Logos, the Logos, the eternal word of God. Well, where do you see that, Pastor Tim? On verse 3, God spoke God's word. So right there in Genesis 1, we have hints of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit present in the opening lines of Scripture. The Trinity, this, this wonderful, mysterious idea of one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, hints of it right there in Genesis 1. So that means the eternal Son of God, the eternal Logos, who we now know as Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, he was there from the beginning. And in fact, he wasn't created by God, he is God himself, and we're going to flesh it out a little bit more later. That we see that God the Father, the Son, and Spirit, one God in three persons, all equally God, all involved in creation we see here in our text. That the Bible says that the eternal Son of God enjoyed this bliss of somehow this mysterious fellowship, Father, Son, and Spirit, from the very beginning. That the eternal Word, as John 1 says, is Jesus the Christ, the Logos, the Word. So then that means that Christmas is more than fruitcake, amen. Christmas is more than eggnog or great gifts. But hear me say this. It's even more than just getting together with family and friends. That's called a, a really Americanized sentimentality. All, every commercial we see, you know, what's, the holidays are about being with friends and family. Well, it is, but it really isn't. <laughs> Christmas is really about Jesus, it's really about him, and you're going to hear me say, on a rescue mission to break into our world as God himself to save you from your sin, to make a way for you to spend an eternity with him. That's what Christmas is, and that's great news. It's not raining on your parade. If you like fruitcake, eat up. Toast it. Put peanut butter on it. I don't care. Eat up your fruitcake. But the most important thing during Christmas and this Advent season is to remind ourselves who he is and why he came. And we have hints from the opening lines of Genesis, that this is not just a prophet. This is not just an enlightened being. This is not just some kind of spiritual guru. It's God himself, the only true God, who would not give up on you, not give up on me. That's Christmas. That's the Advent. So who is this Jesus? Well, he's a rescuer, I've said. God himself is a rescuer. Now we flip back to Genesis 4, but keep your finger on Genesis 3, okay? So if you flip with Genesis 4... Then we'll go right back to Genesis 3. This is Paul writing to the church in Galatia. Fantastic book. It's worth its own year-long series. But let's suffice it to say, there's a particular problem that Paul was trying to help these young Christians with. And he was trying to make sure they knew that one thing, that Christ was a real person, wasn't a phantom. 
uh, but that also Christ came to change things. So in Galatians 4, verse 4, which we read, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We got some great words there. We have the word redeem. We sang about redeem and redemption. Uh, We see the time. We see that a son, born of a woman, the law, all these great words. Well, I want to make a couple points here. So when Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, that God sent his son. Now, I'm going to say, if you flip back to Genesis 3, so flip back there is this story that we read only a portion where the serpent tricks Adam and Eve to disobey God, to not trust God, and to start distrusting God. And so God curses the serpent who we believe is Satan, curses him in verse 15 of chapter 3 with this curse. And God says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring, Satan, and her offspring, which is Eve's. He, this offspring, shall bruise your head, Satan, and you, Satan, shall bruise his, this offspring's heel. What's this all about? Well, what I think is in the Genesis 3 from the beginning, even though humanity turned its back on God, God says, I'm not giving up on you. I have every right to just say, I'm starting over. I'm, I'm getting Adam version 2 and Eve version 2, right? Let's just get 2.0. Let's just get a re- renew my license, update it. God says, no, I'm going, I'm going to actually go through the loving, painful process of working with you. And God says, I'm not giving up on you, even though you turned your back on me. And so he says this. I, God says, let me tell you what's going to happen. One day, Satan, there's going to be an offspring of Eve, the one that you tricked, the one that you uh, talked into distrusting me. Someone from her lineage is going to come, and he's going to hit you in the head. Yeah, you'll be nipping at his heels, but he's going to crush you with a blow to your head. Now, this is very symbolic. So what we see is a prophecy about a future descendant of Eve who will crush the snake. And so what we believe this means is that Jesus, remember in Genesis 1, this is the eternal son, the eternal word of God. Not yet we know him as Jesus the Christ, But now we know is Jesus is the one who was predicted from Genesis 3, the descendant of Eve, who will defeat Satan by crushing him with a blow to the head. Well, how did Jesus do this? On the cross. What looked like a defeat of Jesus was actually a victory for Jesus. Satan thought that he won. But Jesus knew it was by him allowing himself to be crucified that he would win our salvation back if you'd say yes to him. So that means Jesus leaves the safety and security of his throne in heaven, the eternal logos, and decides to be God wrapped in our skin, as one writer puts it, to to come and become one of us, somehow fully human, somehow fully divine. We'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. Not coming to condemn his broken world and broken creation, but to give his life as a ransom to rescue us. Or as Galatians 4, if you turn back there, says to redeem you, to redeem you. It's a very interesting word that Christ came to be a ransom for you, to pay some kind of price to free you. Now, this is very interesting words here. In fact, in verse 7 of chapter 4, which we didn't read, Paul also says, because Jesus did this, that you people who follow Jesus, you are now no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through 
God. So here's the picture that the few verses of Galatians 4 tells us. That Jesus, from the very beginning, was predicted to come to rescue you, or the word that Paul uses, to redeem you. Redeem you from what? Well, in Genesis 3, we turn, humanity turns its back on God. But God says, I won't give up, and it'll be sometime later that I'm going to send someone, a descendant from Eve, who now we know is Jesus the Christ, God himself, I'm going to rescue, redeem you from your lostness, from this separation. I will carry you. I'll, I'll put you on my back. I will make a way. I will pay a price. This redemption language. But listen to this. What Paul is saying is that we were slaves to sin in Galatians and that we were under this thing called the law. But Christ came to free us from slavery. Okay, so if you understand slavery, there's a freedom. You're a slave, then you're freed. But then verse 7 says, well, God goes further. Because if you were a slave and you got freed, you'd be a very happy person, right? But what the Bible says is God not only takes you from slavery to freedom, he takes you from freedom to make you a royal heir. He could have just left you free and it would have been all good. Thank you, Lord, for freeing me. But he doesn't leave you from, as a slave. He doesn't leave you as a free. He welcomes you in and adopts you as his own child. It's important to, for Paul to use the word son because in the Greco-Roman world, it was the son who inherited all of the father's property and respect and the rights that came through the male lineage. So God is saying, you men and women, boys and girls, in Christ, not only were enslaved to sin, but now freed, but now you are royal heirs of the greatest kingdom that ever has been and ever will be. You're rich, not just free. God calls you his own child. That's amazing. He could have just left you free. But he says he makes you an heir. So Satan thought he had kept God's loving embrace away from you forever. Satan thought he won. Christ is hanging on the cross. The king is dead. The king is dead. But it was all part of Jesus's plan and his rescue plan to ransom himself, to redeem you out of slavery into freedom and more than just free, but into a royal family. Inheritance is what the Bible says. And now Satan knows that his time is coming to an end. And so he's making as much havoc as he can. And so he created something called depression. And he created something called self-centeredness. And he created something called poverty. And he created something, something called mental illness. And he created all of these different broken things. And you think this is normal. But God knows it's not normal. God knows that each one of us were meant to be so much more. And not be sucked down by the reality of human trafficking where there are 40 million slaves today. That isn't the way God made the world. Satan is celebrating this. And every time the work of my friends at International Justice Mission, my other friends in San Francisco, L.A., freeing slaves, boys and girls and men and women from modern-day slavery in our own country, the Spirit of God is smiling that another slave is free. And how, how even God is smiling when you, out of your bondage to sin, say, God, take over. And free me. I don't, want to just, I don't want to be a slave. And I don't only want to be free. I want to be an heir. I want to be a child. I want to be a daughter. I want to be a son. And Jesus says, this is the rescue mission that I embarked upon. And so, yeah, eat your fruitcake. Do your white elephant gifts. But just don't forget what the story is. 
It's a rescue mission, freeing slaves into freedom, into airship as royal family members. Romans 16, 20, Paul says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's an allusion back to Genesis 3, right? That what is he saying? Well, Christ already is victorious on the cross. What Paul is saying, well, that was just, that was the first advent. The second advent coming because Christ came as a humble king submitting himself on the cross. Next time you see Jesus, Satan, look out. This is the real blow that's coming. He's coming as a king with power, with glory. The Bible paints a picture that the whole world somehow will see Jesus. And no, not one of us will doubt who he really is. Not one of us will doubt, oh, is he really God? Or is he really the only way? There will be a day that we will see, if we're still alive, we will know, like, oh, this is King Jesus. That every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Everyone, not just Presbyterians, not just people in California, people in India, people in Africa, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will see it clearly one day. And what Advent is about is helping you know that you can make that important decision now. Say yes to Jesus. Yes, he is the way and the truth and the life. He's not just one of many paths. He's the only path. He's the only one who's come to rescue you. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, Romans 16, 20 says. Jesus is coming back a second advent. Because what looked like defeat in the Garden of Eden, what looked like defeat on the cross was a victory. And we will see the glory of King Jesus soon, Jesus says where he makes all the sad things come untrue, I think as Tolkien says in one of his books, that Jesus is coming. He gives you a glimpse of undoing the the yoke of slavery, undoing the chains of slavery. We get little glimpses of it when I read these stories and and my friends at World Vision and Compassion International helping alleviate poverty around the world. That's our little glimpses of God's goodness, right? Or, Or when we see someone put their faith in Christ, little glimpses of God's goodness. When we Feed people who are hungry little glimpses of God's goodness, but there'll be a time when King Jesus comes and there'll be no more hunger and there'll be no more mental illness and no more divorce and no more hating each other, no more racism. And that, when that comes, we will know and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And Advent is inviting us in now to confess it, to say yes to Jesus. Because what do you really want this Christmas season? What, what do you really want? What's in your heart? What's in your soul? Because you don't need another gadget, no matter what great deal you're going to get, no matter if it's 50% off or buy one, get one free, all good. But it's not going to fill your soul. We know it. I mean, think of, what, you know, think of the gifts last year, the year before, the year before. We know there's something more that we need. And Jesus says you'll be on an endless cycle of trying to meet your needs through stuff. Or you'll be in the endless cycle of trying to meet your needs through people liking you or respecting you. You'll be in this endless cycle of of trying to uh, earn God's favor by being a good human being. God says, time out. It doesn't work that way. There's another way that King Jesus comes as a rescuer. He's going to rescue from this endless cycle. And he came as a baby to save you from yourself, to save you from your sin. And he calls you a royal heir if you'd say yes. What else do we know about this? King Jesus, this rescue. I want to spend a little more time in Galatians 4. Again, in verse 4, it says this, but when the fullness of time had come, remember, that's the fulfillment, I believe, of at least Genesis 3, if not the other hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament, okay? When the fullness of time had come, right, that he, God, sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It's a very interesting phrase right there. 
So what Paul was saying is that the eternal son, Jesus, didn't come to give you more rules. He came while we were under the law, in verse 5, to redeem, to, to free those who were under the law. He didn't come to make a new religion. He didn't come to say, okay, I need you to be a good person now. Okay, I need you to, 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 to stop being so selfish. Because Jesus knows we can never escape this cycle. We can never be good enough, right? And sometimes, some of us, we trying to be good so much, we get so bummed out and depressed that we feel like we're worthless. Well, that's not from God either. And see, saying there's a cycle of being under the law, trying to live for these uh, uh, unattainable ideals, and some of us, maybe you're good at attaining these ideals and you're successful and you're a good human being and you, right, and you give away stuff and then you kind of feel proud. Well, guess what? You're very far from God if you're proud. You can be far from God and be a nice person, a religious person. And what Jesus said, he wants to rescue you from, from arrogance or pride or depending on yourself or being under the law of trying to do good works. He wants to rescue you from despair because guess what? Some of us, we try to be good. We try to you know, make our resume look good. We try to please our parents and we don't really match up. And so because we're under the law as well, and we don't match up, we get depressed and discouraged. And Christ came to free us from being arrogant because we're good at, good, good at fulfilling the law. And he came to free us from those of us who live in despair because we can't fulfill it. He says, I'm going to eradicate it. I'm going I'm to fulfill it so perfectly that my righteousness becomes yours. That Jesus... The eternal son didn't come to enslave us in Christmas to make you to have new rules. His advent arrival marks a new way of relating to God as a royal heir, okay? Now, I don't know, how many of you guys have ever heard of Elf on the Shelf? Raise a hand, okay? I'm going to apologize firsthand for those of you who still have an Elf on the Shelf because it's a wonderful toy, but it's terrible theology, okay? So let me tell you, if you don't know about Elf on the Shelf, it's this cute little toy. It's an elf that sits on your mantle, your fireplace, or somewhere in your house, okay? And the elf, apparently, this is what you tell your small, our small children or your grandchildren or your nieces and nephews, that the elf is watching you, kids, and the elf is reporting back to Santa whether you've been naughty or nice, whether you've been sharing your toys and cleaning up your room. And if you are, then Santa's going to make sure you're on the good list and you're going to get hooked up with some gifts. See, it's kind of a form of like, you know, you're trying to control your kids to be good because sometimes they can be a little bratty at Christmas, right? So you put Elf on the shelf, and he's basically like a Santa spy cam, which is kind of creepy when you think about it, right? Santa spy cam, and right? And then you, and, you, and we think about Santa, and he's going to see who's naughty or nice or who's on the list. Very cute, but really bad theology because it leads you to think that's kind of what God's like, that there's a naughty list, and a nice list, and the list, what your name is, depends on what you do, or what people say about you, or what, how much you attain in this world. And it's like, no, that's like anti-gospel. That's anti-good news. See, the good news is that Elf in the Shelf, which rakes in tens of millions of dollars annually, probably still, is that it's not about how you behave or didn't behave. It's about who you know. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God himself, Come on a rescue mission for you, to free you from being enslaved to sin, not just to free you, to make you an heir. If you say yes to your new identity as an heir, a son, a child of the king, he says, you don't have to work under the law anymore. You're free. Rest in my grace. So 
what we see is King Jesus is not a cosmic Santa Claus, right? He's a rescuer who's come to save you from your sin, to come to save you from an endless life, an endless cycle of being proud about your accomplishments or endless cycle of being depressed about you can't keep up. Jesus says, stop playing the game. You're not under the law anymore. There's a whole new way. You're a royal heir if you put your faith in me. You don't have to keep trying so hard anymore. We see that Jesus claimed to be God by saying he had authority to forgive sins. His rescue mission to redeem you, he is giving himself the authority to say, I can declare you free. It's a big statement that he's making. He came to rescue from, trying to, from you trying to earn your salvation. And he's the only one with the authority to do so. Now, I mention that because of this. Some of us have Mormon friends. And our Mormon friends think Jesus is divine, but in the same manner that all of us are going to be divine. And then our Jehovah Witness friends, they deny Jesus' divinity altogether, but they do say he's a great prophet and that he's a great example if you have a Scientologist friend, kind of a la Tom Cruise, they deny Jesus' divinity altogether. If you know this uh, actor named Aston Kutcher, Jesus is his homeboy, okay? And for Kanye West, I think very sincerely, very sincerely, at least in this point in his life, he's, he's saying Jesus is his king. Very interesting thing that's happened with Kanye, right? Our, our friends who follow Islam say that Jesus is a great prophet, but not divine. Gandhi himself considered Jesus an enlightened prophet, but not divine. And in fact, it said that Jesus was kind of in the, in the order of the Hindu deity Krishna, or perhaps the prophet Muhammad. So let me ask you, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the Christmas story? Because the Bible is saying what you think about Jesus matters. He's not just one, a way of many ways that he's not, oh, he's, he's, a, he's a great advisor to my life. He is saying, I am the eternal Logos. That's a big deal. I'm from the beginning. I have have no beginning. God himself on a rescue mission, and that means that you are enslaved to sin, and that sin is separation from God. It's it's, it's thinking that Jesus is just one of many ways, or, or that God wants me to be a better human being. That is not good news of the gospel. That's the separation that we have, that Christ came to bridge. So what do you believe about Jesus? Because this Advent season will invite you in to get to know the rescuer, King Jesus. In Matthew 24, when Jesus was talking about himself, if you're not convinced how Jesus saw himself, he saw himself as more than a prophet. Because the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus in, into saying that he was the son of God, equating with God. And so what Jesus does, he answers them by pointing them to another scripture. He quotes Psalm 110, which is King David. Because they're saying, are you the son of God? Tell us. He says, well, let me tell you something from King David. The same scriptures that you believe, religious leaders. In Psalm 110, Jesus quotes and says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. What Jesus is doing is saying, David himself thought the coming Messiah and a, a, a coming heir of his, an actual person in his lineage, that God, the Lord, called the Messiah the Lord. (laughs) So Jesus is equating himself with the Messiah, who is also called the Lord. That Jesus referred to himself as equal with God. And then if you look at the Gospel of John, time and time again, Jesus keeps saying these crazy things. I am the bread of life. 
I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way and the truth and the life. Before Abraham was, I am. And guess what? Statements like that or, or statements like he did in Matthew 22, he kept referring to himself as divine. So what Jesus is clearly saying, he is more than a prophet. He's more than a guru. He's more than just one way. He's saying, I am the way. And what you think about me matters. What you think about me this Christmas matters. I am a rescuer, the only one who has authority to forgive you for your sins. The only one who has the power to bridge this gap between where you are right now and who you know deep inside you're meant to be. Because I think every one of you realizes that you were meant to live forever. That somehow your life is, is, is not all that it's meant to be. And we think about death, we think about it ending, we keep hoping that somehow it's going to continue. And it doesn't make sense that this is all there is. All this beauty, all this goodness, the beauty of the rainbows and the beauty of, of animals and the beauty of tasting food, this shouldn't all end. There's got to be some meaning to it. And Jesus says there is. And if you want that to continue in perfection for eternity, welcome me in. Because remember what we started, Revelation 3, Jesus is knocking and saying, who do you say I am? Will you welcome me in? Not just a prophet, not just a religious guru, not just someone to improve your life, but Lord, Savior, God himself, wrapped in our skin, will you let him in? See, Jesus wasn't crucified for just being nice. You gotta keep this in mind. Buddha did not say he was divine. Muhammad or Gandhi, they did not claim to be God. But Jesus kept pointing to his own divinity, his equality with God. So who is Christ according to his own claims? God himself, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the mystery of the Trinity, saying God wrapping himself in our skin and saying, I'm on a rescue mission to free you from slavery and to make you an heir. Will you open the door and welcome me in and say yes? This is the meaning of Advent. God himself on a rescue mission. Ravi Zacharias is a famous apologist, and he says this about Jesus. Every other person who is at the heart of any religion has had his or her beginning either in fancy, which is myth, or in fact, truth. But nevertheless, there is a beginning. And Jesus' birth in Bethlehem was a moment preceded by eternity. His being neither originated in time nor came about by the will of humanity. The author of time, who lived in the eternal, was made incarnate in time that we might live with the eternal in view. In that sense, the message of Christ was not the introduction of a religion, but an introduction to truth about reality as God alone knows it. So to deny Jesus' message while pursuing spirituality of some form is to conjure an imaginary religion in an attempt to see heaven while sight is confined to earth. Then he closes by saying, your life or my life, apart from him, Jesus Christ, spells death. That there's a decision to make about Jesus, the person. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a guru. He's more than a good human being. God himself on a rescue mission, which means that you needed to be rescued if you haven't invited him in. He's saying you're still in need of rescue. Because we know somewhere deep inside there's nothing we can consume will ever satisfy. No food, no item that we get for Christmas, no amount of praise of people, no matter what awards you get, no matter uh, how much good you do in this world, as good as it is. Jesus says, without me in your life, 
nothing is eternally good. But with me, all of those good things that you do in Christ somehow go on, somehow matter in God's economy. That with Christ, your life matters. We're being rescued from a system that says, do more, be more. And God is saving us. We say yes. As we prepare our hearts to come to this table, I'm going to invite you to pray with me this prayer to prepare ourselves this Advent season and prepare our hearts for the bread and the cup. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you're real, that you're good, that from the very beginning you didn't give up on us and you chose to leave heaven and come down and become one of us and then to die on a cross and to battle Satan and achieve victory by rising again. Lord, thank you that many of us in this room have said yes to you. And we know we are no longer slaves of sin. Lord, forgive us sometimes from stopping just there. We're not only free, but we're your heirs. Lord, help us to claim the reality that we belong to you in fullness, that we are sons and daughters, children of the King, that we are free now, citizens of heaven. Lord, we belong to you. Lord, forgive us for trying to rely on other stuff to fill our souls. Lord, even as we come and and we take this bread and drink this cup, Lord, we pray you would help us to remember we belong to you. Nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you, King Jesus, for coming in your first advent. Lord, King Jesus, we know you're coming again. Help us to live every day like you're coming soon. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.